Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. We just finished up the series on love, uh-huh. that funnel love tricking down, but I'm excited for what you have for us today. Thanks, I love brother. You. Love you, man. Thank you so much. Nothing to correct there, you guys. No? And, and I think just, just to expound on that, I, for me, I found in my life when it's not something that I have to do, it becomes easier to do. Because you discover that generosity, you know. Here's, here's what um, really, I guess, clued me in on this, is when as a church we really began to um, preach grace. Always preach grace, but that was kind of more of the, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the focus for a while there. And there's some things that in my heart I realized that maybe I was taking scriptures from the old covenant and using them in a new covenant to get people to give, okay? But here's the thing, giving is still a good thing to do. So it's how we do it. And the Apostle Paul really breaks this down, beautiful, in Corinthians. And he says basically that, first of all, what did you purpose in your heart? Right? So if someone's compelling or twisting your arm and you feel forced, maybe that's not what you purposed in your heart. But maybe sometimes we're like, well, I got some stuff coming up I want to do and get, so I'm going to get a little less. And maybe Holy Spirit's moving to say, no, now's the time for some sacrifice. So it's not about the church per se, but it's about our, our generosity level. And so it's beautiful when we can say things like, listen, you don't have to give. But at the same token, we are born with a generous spirit just like God. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave everything. He gave himself. And so that's really what that love comes down to. So nothing to correct at all, Pete, but, you know, that, that doesn't get us out of this idea of being generous and giving, whether that's at church, whether that's weekly, monthly, whether that's helping your neighbor, whether that's paying for someone's groceries in line. You know, I've tried to do that in the recent, you know, in the recent past, and literally people would fight me over it. No, you don't have to do that. No, you don't have to do that. It's like people have gotten to the point where we can't give or we can't receive. And that's what I had to learn to do. Giving, I think I grew up in a household. My parents were givers. We were constantly giving stuff away and, and, and giving to people and doing for people. And, you know, their heart of ministry, you know, I mean, whether they got everything right, who does? They were such generous givers and would help people. So that's just something that was instilled in me. And discovering the grace of God didn't cause me to not give anymore. It actually, I believe, caused me to be more focused on what I'm giving to and why. And then you continue doing that. So just encourage you, you know, if you're someone who sometimes you, if it's tight clenched to things, you know, well, maybe, maybe that's the, the thing in your life that you could say is your God or the thing you worship. And so it's really challenging those things in our life. So this isn't pastor trying to stir you up to give more. I just want you to give and be generous with everybody all the time. Does that make sense? So good stuff. Say Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Wow. Can't believe we're just a week away from Easter, you guys. That's so awesome. 
Well, good morning and welcome. If it's your first time here with us, we just want to say thank you so much for choosing to both either attend here physically or be here with us on YouTube and Facebook. Um, what a great community we have, and it is nice to see more and more people showing up as we feel safe. We have taken a lot of precautions. You know, you get scanned at the door. We ask that you wear masks until you're seated. Uh, for me as a pastor, those are some hard lines, some things we had to figure out. None of it was political. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the kingdom of God. And with my board, we decided some different parameters that we could do that everyone could feel safe and feel good. Why? We want you to receive the love of God. We really want you to receive the gospel. And so we didn't want to do anything that would turn that off. And you know what's cool? We literally, I only had one person say one person. And I'm not going to name them. But one person who decided they're going to leave the church because they're wearing masks. I'm like, hey, it's your prerogative. It's America. We can do that. But most of us were on board with, hey, whatever we got to do. We love people. And so I appreciate your heart for that. Amen. And so to me, today is probably one of the most special Sundays because it holds a special place in my heart. Um, It's Palm Sunday, and it really leads into what I would consider my favorite celebration, and that's Resurrection Sunday next week, Easter Sunday. You know, we should be living Easter and Resurrection, I believe, every single day, but it's really this, this beautiful celebration, and I believe probably one of the most pivotal points in human history. I mean, it's the very reason, I believe, that we can celebrate new life in Christ. And not only that, we can continue to grow and mature in what it means to really live and look like the kingdom of God. And so every Sunday, you're going to hear a message or something that really intertwines with that new life that we have. Awakening to it, discovering it, growing in it, and then eventually living it. Living it to the place where people are like, is, is that Peter? Is that Jesus? Is that Kay or is that Jesus? Not that they would say that, but maybe in their thoughts, especially with the climate of the church today. I mean, it's, it really stinks, you guys, but, but the church, when people hear church or religion, for a lot of people, they think hatred, bitterness, judgmental. And that really, it, it really bothers me And I I would go as far as to say I believe it bothers Jesus because his heart is to welcome and accept people. No matter where you're from, what you come from, even how you're living. Now, do we need to see changes, all of us in our life in certain areas? Of course, who doesn't? How many would say we're on a journey? We all have to grow in this. But I do believe that acceptance always should precede change. Because when you accept somebody where they are, and this, this is the tricky spot because we accept people where they are, but sometimes we still have this hidden agenda. Like, I'm accepting you where you are, but I got this place that I want you to be. It's like, you're not the Holy Spirit. So we, we really, we got to be careful. And I know most of us, it's with really good intention, right? This is the box. These are the parameters. I think you should live this way. Well, let, let Holy Spirit work that out. And what I've noticed is when I've not worried about that as much. Now, it's different. As a pastor, if I see something going on in the congregation that's hurting someone, got to step up. Got to take care of some stuff. Got to have some talks with some people, right? You know, I mean, we've had opportunities where young men came in and their, their only reason for being here was to pick up some chicks. And I'm like, that's not what we're here for. And so you just have to be real with people and say, this isn't a nightclub. There's plenty of those. Go check it out. And so there's times where you got to call people out in love, right? And so it's, it's learning those things. But as far as 
the idea of, oh, you're here, cool, here's the pamphlet, I'm going to change you. How about this? I'm going to accept you. I'm going to love you. I want to know who you are. I want to, I want to just press into your life, see who you are, and Holy Spirit can work on both of our hearts. It's just, it's, it takes the pressure off. It's just an awesome thing. But I believe that's what resurrection life really represents. So today, Palm Sunday, say Palm Sunday. It's about a week before the celebration of the resurrection that we celebrate in our life. I, I do want to say this before we get started today. Um, normally we have communion the last day of the month, but I actually moved it forward, talked to some of the staff, and they said, let's move it to Easter Sunday. So we're going to receive communion on Easter Sunday. Uh, kind of, you know, I found that for me, communion kind of seals things in my heart. I'm more aware of maybe what's going on, and I'm thinking through this because I really believe it's a beautiful ritual we can do uh, to, to remind ourselves of how close we are, how clean we are, how united we are with God. But what, what better time than when we're reminded of not just the resurrection of Jesus, but how it's resurrected you in your life. And so um, we'd love for you to participate. Listen, invite your friends, your family, to the building, let's, I mean, again, we have some safety protocol, let's follow that, but let's, let's come in, let's enjoy it. If you still don't feel safe or you can't, definitely join us online for Easter Resurrection Sunday next week. So let's get started today. Today's Palm Sunday, but this is the title of today's message. Horses, donkeys, and unmet expectations. Horses, donkeys, and unmet expectations. So here's the question. What comes to mind when you think about Palm Sunday? Think about that for a minute. What comes to mind? Now, when I was a little kid, you know, my dad was a crazy, drugged out, drug selling hippie and radically found Jesus and just completely changed his life. I mean, he eventually came back and eventually gave up a job and a pension in the shop to just love people and be a pastor. Beautiful testimony. Um... And, you know, we find a lot of us just decide, hey, uh, this is what I want to do. But, you know, I was probably, I would say, two or three when he got saved. And so it was this process of relearning kind of how life works. But I remember the first time I heard of Palm Sunday. And it's kind of like, Palm, Palm Sunday? What, what does it have to do with our hands? And that's, that's all I really knew. But how many know Palm Sunday is so much more than that? So what is Palm Sunday to you? I mean, if I ask you as a believer who's been to church for any amount of time, you would say something like, well, it's a celebration of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem about a week before his crucifixion and his resurrection, right? This would be, think about this, the final week of Christ's physical ministry on this earth. So what do we take away from this celebration of Palm Sunday? What, it, what is it what it is, I almost said, what is it that we can learn as we approach Resurrection Sunday? Now, again, when I think about Palm Sunday, and this might sound really odd to you, but I actually think about disappointment. I think about unmet expectations. Why? Well, we're going to get into that in just a minute, but let me ask you this. Have you ever been disappointed in your life? I, I kind of know the answer to this. Have you ever felt like, you know, things just didn't measure up? Like maybe something's happened that wasn't expected in your life. I think all of us ha have experienced this, right? I mean, this happens to all of us. So back in 2002, we took a missions trip to Peru. How many were on that trip? Anyone here? 
three of us. Woo. We had a pretty big, big group that went. And uh, we have this running joke with Pete and I, which I won't mention here on the airplane. But uh, no, it should. <laughs> so it's 2002, right? Does anyone remember what happened on 9-11 just before this? Yeah, yeah. So we're in and I'm filming back and forth. And I'm like, yo, 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 what's up, Pete? Pete's like, we're, he goes, I'm back here terrorizing it up. And I went, I stopped and I looked and instantly his eyes went, oh crap. And we were looking around on the plane, on the plane. I mean, it was, that's worse than Ben Stiller. Bomb, 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 right? <laughs> we all looked and went, what are you doing, man? We're not going to end up in Peru. We're going to end up in jail. Maybe jail in Peru. That's even worse. Oh my goodness. Hey, you let me share it, so. We had a blast, didn't we, Pete? I was in Peru um, for about three or four months when I was 17, same ministry, Robert Berger, and uh, Camino de Vida, that was the name of the church. Their ministry expanded, still huge. Uh, At one point, I think they had like 10,000 members. It was just churches all over. They had orphanages planted everywhere. It was awesome. So we would go and we would visit the orphanages. We'd play some basketball with the kids and just try to talk the best Spanglish that we could to them because they spoke Spanish and I was English. Man, I still need to learn a second language, you know. I get a little bit jealous when Michael Lusk rattles off in Spanish and English and French. I'm like, come on, dude, you're showing me up, you know. But we were hanging out there, and we even did these um, uh, ministries out in the jungle. We went to these jungle towns and cities, and it was so cool. We got some great video of it and stuff. But they would set up these big tents, and they'd, they'd put generators out, uh, you know, because the Americans need electricity, apparently. But, you know, we'd, we'd amplify things, and they come in, and they, we had this local, remember that local dance group that came in, Pete, was doing all the dance stuff. And then we even played, we were in a, uh, we've been in a couple bands together, but we were in that rock band together, and uh, Chris Blue, who pastors down in the campus down in Florida, he actually was a singer, and Christian was on guitar. And so we'd rock out for these guys, these, these young, these youth and stuff in the jungle. Welcome to the jungle! But anyway, it was awesome. But there was a couple, here I go again because I love food, but there was a couple meals I really loved in Peru. There was a meal called Lomo Santado, and it was so good. It was all these veggies, and, and it was papafritas, which was French fries to us. Uh, and they would mix it in with some, some type of meat or steak, and it was like awesome. Uh, but there was this particular meal that we had for the first time in the jungles. And this is just so beautiful, and I'm not going to get cry or weepy today about it. But just to th- think about this. This is a people who have hardly any money. And they would take literally, I don't know how many weeks or months of salary to take care of you. And I remember the pastor and his wife were like, like four foot tall, the most sweet Pete, Pastor Jaime. He was just so wonderful. And I mean, even though I couldn't speak Spanish, I mean, just his smile said so much. And his wife was just going around the house and they had workers from the church and they had everything set up in this little tiny house for us and they served this meal. It was called Aji de Gallina. And it was so, you remember that, Pete? So, you were, <laughs> Aji de Gallina. It was so good. So it was, it was like sliced potatoes that were cooked, of course. And then they had this sauce that had like a shredded chicken in it and it was made with a special pepper that they, they grew there or whatever. And it was so good, so yummy. But, you know, the one thing that I really missed is when you're in third world countries, one thing that abounds greatly in the States and doesn't in third world countries usually, or maybe now, but is sugar. And I love sweets. I love sugar. I love that. 
And so the guy who was kind of running the whole mission, he says, we got to take care of these Americanos because, you know, they have needs. And so they took us to this American-style restaurant. And actually, the food was really good. I mean, I kind of felt guilty because, you know, you were just in the jungles and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're enjoying, like, this relationship with people who have next to nothing, but they're happy. They're happy that you're there and with relationship and family. You're like, wow. I mean, I encourage you, if you never went on a mission trip, do it. It just does something to your, to your mind, to your psyche. And you realize we have so much. But I remember we went in this American-style restaurant and had a great meal. That The waiters and waitresses were actually dressed up really nice. Pretty swanky place, you know, in downtown Lima there. And at one point, they came out with the dessert tray. You ever go into a decent restaurant, you know, a little bit nicer. McDonald's doesn't do this so much, but like nicer restaurants and they have the dessert tray and they have like on display, you know, for you to lust at all the different things that you can eat. And immediately I was drawn to this, like it had to be seven or nine layer chocolate cake. I didn't even count the layers. I just saw chocolate in layers and went, this is me right here. So I ordered that piece and I was so excited. It finally came to the table. They put it in front of me. I'm like, dear Jesus, I'm going to have chocolate cake in Peru. And seven layers of goodness. I pick up my fork. I slice that little first bite off. I put it in my mouth. And man, was it just okay. It was kind of dry it just didn't, like, I was expecting that, you know, American thing, lots of oils and fats and moistness and sugar. It wasn't very sweet. And I'm like, wow, wow, thank you so much, Peruvians. This is great. Can we go back to the States now, right? And it just wasn't what I expected. I, I had this expectation for something that I was used to or, or I really wanted, and it just didn't work out. It just didn't meet my expectations, Now think about this in your life, because that's so trivial, right? That's first world. It really is. But there are many times that legitimate things happen or don't happen in our lives. And so we are disappointed. We have expectations that aren't met. Anyone here? What I want to do as we read this story of Palm Sunday, I want us to maybe keep in mind, you know, you ever thought of something and it actually brought back the feeling of where you were at that time or, or just that gut feeling or that wrenching of something that really, you know, it just impacted you in your life. I want us to kind of take on that emotion and feeling as we're reading this. I want us to go back and just imagine that we're in Jerusalem somewhere between 30 and 36 AD. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse one, here's what happens. It says, when they near Jerusalem, Having arrived at Bethage of Mount Olives, or on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Jesus says, Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say, The master needs them. <laughs> Every time I read this, I'm like, Wow, Jesus, man, you, you got some. Come on, man. Tell them the master needs them. And look what he says He will send them with you. I mean, he's confident in this. But look at this, verse four. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. So Jesus is doing this on purpose. He's doing this with purpose because the prophet had foretold that this would happen. Look at this. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, full of a pack animal. 
So what did the disciples do? The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and cold out. They laid some of their clothes on them and Jesus mounted. Look at this. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the ground, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. This is where we get Palm Sunday. So people were literally cutting down palm leaves from palm trees and laying them down as a path for Jesus. Crowds went ahead, crowds followed. There's a lot of crowds, people. And all of them calling out, listen to this, Hosanna to who? David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. These are things they're saying to Jesus as he's in this procession. Hosanna in highest heaven. Look at verse 10. And he made his entrance into Jerusalem. The whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? The parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. Now I want to stop there for just a second and think about something. Because there's this huge procession going on. This was a big deal. It wasn't like there were four people out there and no one noticed. Everyone was noticing this. And we see by the reaction, it says this, that they were unnerved. <laughs> now, now, I want us to understand the time that Jesus was living in. This was under Roman occupation. Anyone heard of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire? Really nice bunch of guys, you know. All they wanted to do was bring peace through violence. Really, really, you know, pretty much any superpower empires like that, right? Come on, let's be honest. But they're in this climate under Roman occupation and, and Jesus is proceeding into the town, this procession, people are treating him like a king or a Caesar under Roman occupation. Can you see why some people were unnerved? Like, what, what are you doing, man? Whoa, whoa, whoa. There, there's a Roman soldier over there and there and there. Do you not know what you're doing right now? So it's a big deal. I want us to grasp what's going on. Because even as the coatless multitude waved the palm branches and shouted for joy, all this was going on, they missed the true reason for Jesus being here. I mean, they could neither see nor understand what was truly going on. And that's why if we look at the Gospel of Luke, I love how Luke puts us in Luke 19, verse 41. Look at this. I want us to see the attitude of Jesus here. It says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and what did he do? He wept over it. There's only a few times in Scripture where we see Jesus weep. Now, I'm, I'm glad I see that because I don't have an issue weeping and crying. How about you, Pete? And so I'm like, okay, Jesus did it. It's okay then, right? But Jesus wept when he saw the city, and I don't think it was just the physical city. I believe it was the inhabitants. It was the people. It was his people. He began to weep. What does he say? He says, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. I want you to read that with me. Go. The things that make for peace. Read it again. The things that make for peace, but now have been hidden from your eyes. It wasn't that Jesus was hiding these things from them. I mean, he was displaying constantly his whole life was these are the things that make for peace, right? So it wasn't Jesus that was blinding them. It was their own expectations. 
of why Jesus came, who Jesus was, what Jesus was supposed to do for them. He goes on to say, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you. Now he's beginning to prophesy and surround you and hem you in on every side. This exact thing happened somewhere between 67 and 70 AD. Rome surrounded them, began to starve them out. Nothing could come in, nothing could go out. He says, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. Some really horrendous things happened. I'm not going to mention here today because it's pretty violent what happened at this time. But look, he says this, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. These are powerful words. This is a powerful prophecy of Jesus and everything came true by 70 AD. Complete destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, Josephus, the way he describes it, and I'm not going to go into detail, but bodies upon bodies. Blood ran through the streets like water. Complete destruction of the temple. Over 8,000 priests in the tribe of Levi, gone. That's why to this day they can't practice Judaism, Second Temple Judaism, the, the sacrifice. There's, to them, it has to be a Levite. There's none left. Destroyed. But Jesus says something important here. What's really going on? Why was Jesus weeping? I mean, he just got this royal welcome. And, and yet he's like, you're not getting it. You're not understanding the way of the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus didn't come to this earth to give us a new religion. Jesus didn't come to this earth to just take the old and make it kind of a new version. Jesus didn't come with tickets to heaven so he could give you one and stamp it. Jesus came to change the entire world from the inside out. And for some reason, we're still not seeing that as the church. We think it's rules and regulations and obligations and things we do for God to please him. You know what would please God? To actually walk out kingdom life. Here and now. Bring heaven to earth. Not wait to go somewhere else in the sweet by and by. Now listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I, to me, my faith is I'll be with Jesus. I'll be with Heavenly Father. Whatever that looks like. I know some people have written books. They've died. They've gone there. I don't know. That's their experience. But I know I haven't experienced yet because, yep, I'm still here. But for me, I take it as a guarantee that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what about here? What about now? What are we doing now to, to move the kingdom, to grow the kingdom? Because Jesus said, listen, it's going to grow and you can't stop it. So get in the flow. And I'm trying as much as I can to say, am I in the flow, Holy Spirit? No, that, okay, am I in the flow, Holy Spirit? Because I want to be there. How about you? So what's really going on here? Let's dig into this just a little bit this morning. First question I have is this. Why a donkey? Say that with me. Why a donkey? Come on, Jesus. Well, we have to understand culture at this time. And when a king or a Caesar or a leader would enter into a city, there was one of two animals that they would ride in, either a horse or a donkey. 
Now, if a king would ride in on a horse, it represented this militant or military entry. To be honest, it was, it was to instill some type of respect and fear into the heart, of the, pe- uh, the heart of the people. It was really a threat of what would happen if you tried to buck the system. No pun intended. But if you tried to buck the system, if you tried to do something other than what they were saying you should do, this was to put fear in your heart. Again, it carried with it a fear for this king. He would not tolerate insurrection or insubordination. Picture, if you will, a mighty warrior king. So this was common. In fact, when I was studying this out a few years ago, some theologians and historians believe that when Jesus was coming into the city, because of when um, this fell in line with the different festivals and things that the Jews were following, that at the same time, the Caesar was coming in from the other side. Oh, come on. I mean, talk about a challenge right here, a challenge to a system, a challenge to a way of life. But if you came in on a donkey, King Solomon, actually, when he became king, came in on a donkey. There's a reason for this. It represented a peaceful entry. Now, think about this. If it's true that in this time frame, the Caesar was coming in on a horse, of course, surrounded by all his Roman soldiers and guard and everything, and then Jesus comes in on the other side on a lowly donkey, can you see the difference between the two? Can you see that King Jesus is a little different than the kings of this world? I want you to grasp this this morning. So on one side, picture, if you will, a mighty warrior king, whereas this donkey represented a peaceful entry. It was a statement that this king, this king on this donkey was not about military force or domination against its people. We could say it was a government that was for the people, more or less. So we can already see that Jesus is beginning to not meet the people's expectations, and here's why. As he came into the, the, the procession or came into the city, what were the people shouting? Hosanna, son of David. Now, the word Hosanna, as a kid, we, didn't we sing songs? Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, all these songs. I'm thinking like, it's just a, it's a church word. Praise the Lord, PTL, for some of you, you know. Praise the Lord, PTL, glory to God, Hosanna, right? Hallelujah, come on. Let me hear it, Bruce. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. come on, Pete. (laughs) But the word Hosanna actually means save now, rescue us. That changes it up a little bit, right? Save now, rescue us. Son of, hmm, who's David? He was a Jewish king of Israel, King, king David. How many have heard of King David? Come on, you saw the movie with, was it Richard Gere or something <laughs> years ago? Now I'm really dating myself. But King David, most people know King David. He, he was born, he was on the planet somewhere, I mean, a thousand to a thousand and fifty years before Jesus. But he was this icon to the Jews. And so they were saying, Rescue us, save us now, son of David. And David was known for what? For being a mighty king warrior. David has slain his, or Saul has slain his thousands. David his tens of thousands. It's, it is, it's interesting to me sometimes how we, we read scripture and then we don't compare it to Jesus. Because we look at King David, and man, we kind of, this guy 
was an adulterer. This guy was a vicious warrior murderer. I mean, if you really just want to be honest with it, this dude was out for blood. He resembled just about any other nation and culture around him. But he fought for Yahweh. That was the only difference. And so that's history. And then we celebrate him. And, and I, I guess the thing that when I, when I look at the story of David, I have to go, well, according to Jesus, who is wanting us to know peace and to exude grace and peace and love and walk differently, King David didn't get it yet. But the beauty of this is God accepted him and was in relationship even with wrong understanding of who God was. I don't hold it against him. It was a cultural thing. Every nation did it. If you lost a war, your God's mad at you. If you win a war, the God loves you. You made enough sacrifices and things like that. And so they were growing and moving. But you got to think of over 2,000 years ago, as this procession is happening, they have that same mentality, right? That same idea. This is our Messiah. This is our warrior king. Many thought that when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he would come as a warrior Messiah. He would defeat Rome. He would reign as king. He would bring their nation back. And in reality, he was a king, most certainly. But his kingdom was not of this world. It wasn't this world system. I mean, even this whole series, The Way of Love, is showing us that it's a completely different system, right? See, Jesus' strategy was not to change politics. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Big difference. I never once saw Jesus picketing Rome, trying to overthrow anything. He was like, change your mind, repent. Kingdom of God is a hand. In fact, it's in you. This is what the kingdom looks like. Let's walk out peace until a week before his death, he looks at the city and he's weeping saying, you still don't get it. We could even say this. Jesus didn't come to change politics. He came to change our minds. Listen, they were and we are a people who have lost our identity. We lost that blueprint, if you will, for our life. We've thought ourselves depraved and enemies of God. And Jesus came to show us the love and friendship that God always had toward us. I see the life of Jesus and he never turned someone away because of their life or their sin or what they did. He accepted them in and through his love it began to change their heart. Inside out change, which is lasting. Does that make sense? But I even see in the Old Testament that God was always there, always working through humanity, even with their faults, even with their failures, saying, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, I'm your creator, I love you, I want relationship with you, and I'll stick with you even if you don't have the right beliefs or the right theology, I'll stick with you, because if I stick with you and you stick with me, I can begin to change your mind, again, repentance. And so Palm Sunday is a reminder that we needed someone to give us a new way of seeing God, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of being human. And so for me, this has transitioned. It's, it's so much deeper and it's so much more beautiful than just I prayed a prayer and I'm guaranteed to go somewhere in the future. Listen, you don't, nobody can... Convince me otherwise. I know that I'll be with Heavenly Father in the future. But what about now? This is what matters. Our lives matter now, here and now. Every single one of us. 
are necessary. We're a part of the family. We're a part of the body. We're a part of the church. We're a part of this world. We're a part of the plan. But there's just some strong things here that I see in this story. So when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the day in which, of course, we celebrate Palm Sunday, he came with great applause and great cheer. The, the people laid these palm branches in their coats and whatever they had. It was really, this arrival was fitting for a king. This was the arrival of a king as far as they were concerned. I mean, they knew Jesus, you know, could do miracles. Either they, they saw it personally or they heard the stories of this Jesus. Yet what they missed is that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not to set up a political reign or to expel the Roman rule. It was to promote justice and peace to Israel, to show Israel the proper way to see God and others. No more us and them living. This was a huge culture of us and them, even within their own people groups. And Jesus, I mean, that's the only time that I really see, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, when Jesus got completely ticked off, it's whenever there were walls of separation, segregation, and classes and groups. Jesus hated it because it's not kingdom. Repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of God is within you. Let it out. Sometimes we're so concerned about what our denomination may say, what our theology has said to us, Sometimes we're going to have to, by faith, step out of that and say, Jesus, I, I want to make sure that my theology is it, it's, it's lining up with who you are. At the very basis, the love that you had for people, the grace that you had toward people, the forgiveness that you had toward people. And so we see this great procession. I mean, again, uh, here's my coat. Here's the branches, this great, you know, kingly arrival in what happened just a week later. Later. They were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That's interesting to me. How in one week do we go from Hosanna, son of David, you're amazing, glory to your name, kingly procession to crucify him, crucify him. What happened in the span of just a few days? Let me tell you, they were disappointed. They had a great expectation. And guess what? It wasn't met. I mean, I get it. Kind of, like, it's like when I tell my wife, no, I get it, honey. She's like, no, you don't. What I'm saying is I'm trying to understand the deepest ways that I can, okay? But I wasn't there. I mean, th these are people who have gone through centuries, not days, not weeks, not years, but centuries of exile, slavery, oppression, war warfare, and occupation. They were desperate. They were tired, I can't imagine living in a society where we just talked about it a few weeks ago where a Roman soldier by law could say, hey, here's my 80 to 100 and some pound pack. Carry it for a mile. And if you refuse, you could be beaten or killed. This is huge. A culture where we complain about 30 or 40% taxes. They say, scholars say that the taxation was close to 90%. People were literally starving. It, you know what that does for me? It totally changes why people follow Jesus. I mean, imagine if you're starving and couldn't feed your kids and you're like, hey, what's up? Dude, we're out in the wilderness the other day. That Jesus dude was traveling around. You know what he did? What? He fed us. 
this kid had loaves and fishes and he like multiply them. And we were eating, dude. He's like, what? I missed out, man. I went to bingo instead. What was I thinking? They didn't even have free like garlic and hummus. So when I, when I think about a people who were literally starving, it makes sense that they would follow the dude who could feed them, right? But these very people were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Why? They were tired. They were worn out. They were so ready for freedom, but they felt disappointed. They felt let down. But Jesus, again, he wasn't here to overthrow Rome and become king. He was here to demonstrate the kingdom of God. That's what we see in his life. To show us how to live peaceably, how to be merciful, how to be forgiving. I mean, really, in a nutshell, he came to testify to the love of the Father. This is what it looks like. Exemplifying Heavenly Father's love toward us. Think about this. What would have happened? What had happened was, what would have happened if instead of insurrection and violence against Rome, because this is what happened and this led to their complete destruction, what if they would have by faith followed the way of Jesus and lived peaceably? Learn how to be merciful and forgiving. When they were told to carry the pack one mile, they said, I'll carry it a second mile. See, a lot of times the reason that we don't go the way of Jesus is we feel like maybe someone's going to get over on us. Someone's going to have one up on us. Come on, I've been there too. And so that's a struggle, right? But think about Jesus. I mean, he had a legion of angels at his disposal. He had apostles who he could have said, pick up your swords and fight. But he said, no, no, no. No, you, you see that I'm not like the kings of this world. If I were, my men would be fighting for me right now. I could call a legion of angels. And I say, no. Violence doesn't bring peace. So I'm going a different direction. And it got him crucified. But the vindication, which we'll celebrate next week and we should every single day, is God says, no, the way of the world system is wrong and resurrection was the vindication of the way of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that next week. But think about that. If they walked in, you know, being merciful and forgiving, even love their enemies through the injustice. Again, we just talked a few weeks about this. But here's the thing. It may take a while. If you walk the way of love when, you know, human societal nature, the way that we could walk, that path says, nope, you got to get them back. You got to vindicate yourself. You, you got to prove yourself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. See, we hear that scripture and we're like, yeah, go get them, God. But that's not what God was saying. God was saying, hey, vengeance is mine. I'm going to choose not to use it, but vengeance is mine. How do I know that? Because I look at the life of Jesus. Jesus never had one day of vengeance or payback in his life. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I know, heavy stuff, right? But sometimes we just got to go, whoa. Maybe my theology, maybe my politics, maybe it's not lining up with the kingdom. It's been a struggle for me for the last several years when I have a certain thought about something to go, okay, that's not the kingdom. 
but I, but I believed this for like 25 years, Jesus. He's like, I know, but it's wrong. You're like, Jesus, why do you say it so nice like that? It makes me want to change. Your love makes me want to change. It makes me see people differently. It makes me see life differently. I'm so thankful for the love of God in my life. It, it's transformed me. It continues to transform me. It continues to show things that I believe that are just aren't true about myself and God and others. And as hard as it is at times, man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So again, if you walk peaceably, if you walk with mercy, if you walk with forgiveness, if you walk in love, it may take a while. It may feel like you're losing before you're winning anything. Come on, anyone been there? But it takes faith to trust Jesus, I believe, in living this life of peace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 9, he said, this is how God showed his love for us. How? How? Tell us, Apostle John, how did, how did God show his love for us? God sent his only son into the world so we might what? Live through him. Let me say something. You're not alone in this. You don't have to do this on your own. You have to prove yourself to God. I used to feel in my life, and maybe it was just me, but I felt like, well, I have to prove myself to God. I have to prove that I'm worthy and I'm good enough in this thing. But he's saying, no, no, this is how I show my love for you. I've sent my son. The spirit lives within you so that you might live through him. Now, this word through is the word dia in the Greek, and it means this, by means of or with the help of. Come on, isn't that awesome? So we're not in this alone. In fact, it's by means of. The word means means an action or system by which a result is brought about. Think about this. Jesus has brought a brand new, completely different system, the kingdom of God. And he says, you don't have to do it on your own. I'm going to do it with you. So how is the world changed into a reflection of the kingdom of God? When we live through Christ. Say it's a choice. We've been saying that a lot lately, haven't we, Pete? It's a choice we make. One day I can decide to live in and of myself. Or we can say, I'm going to live in and through Christ. It's really our decision. And I'll be honest with you, there's days I'm like, you know what, Christ? On the back burner, because I got some stuff to do here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show these people. I'm going to, right? It was only two weeks ago. I'm doing better. But it's an automatic, right? Like, it, we just have this thing where I feel like I don't want them to get over on me. I, I, listen, no one's getting over on you. Most of the time, when, when we try to pay people back, we're the ones that suffer the consequences. Have you ever seen a movie built on vengeance? You're like, yeah, every movie in Hollywood. But have you ever seen a movie built? It, it's never like, and if it is, at the end, like, we got them, we're good, everything's good. No, sooner or later, someone's going to come back and get them, and then someone's going to come back and get them, and then someone's going to come back and get them. It's like, this is insanity, guys. What are we doing? So, again, how is the world changed into a reflection of the kingdom of God when we live through Christ? Not our own opinions, not our political views. I'm talking to all you Democrats and all you Republicans and all you independents and all you in betweeners. The kingdom's not the kingdom of this world. Listen, vote your conscience, do what you believe you should do, but dig in deep and say, God, what is the kingdom all about? 
since I've done that personally, I find more and more wrong with all sides. There's no savior. There's no perfect side. Maybe one empire or government looks a little more righteous than another. Maybe one government's a little more uh, you know, just than another. But you can never, listen to me, you can never intertwine and combine the kingdom with any worldly system. It doesn't work. You see, the people of Jesus' day, they were looking for a physical king to rule on a physical throne. But think about this. How does Jesus rule? Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts and minds of those who believe his way of peace and love to be true. Does everyone love me? I'm not saying I'm against political figures or any of that. I'm just saying the figure in my life that I pattern after as much as I possibly can is Jesus. Does that make sense? So if I'm stepping on your political views, it's not because I don't like you, it's because I love you. And some of you need to come out of that because it just, it stresses you out and it just takes up so much of your time and social media just keeps feeding you crap that's true or not just so you can be riled up because that other person, that other side, stop the madness. Come to the kingdom of peace, man. It's so amazing. That's all I'm saying. So you probably heard this before. Let Jesus rule your heart. Anyone heard this in any amount of years that you've gone to church? But what does it really mean? For some of us, it's simply Jesus telling you what to do and commanding you to better behavior or moral behavior or being a better person. But listen, it goes so much deeper than that. It's Jesus literally living through you. You living through him. It's this union that he spoke of several times while he was here on this planet. It's living a life of mercy and love and forgiveness and grace to the world. It's literally, listen to me, literally changing the world from the inside out. No political system can do that. No religious system can do that. Only the kingdom of God can do this. Change someone from the inside out. Now we've seen in this story that many people in the days of Jesus they walked the earth, or when Jesus walked the earth, they realized that he was someone different, remarkably different, right? But they didn't understand his person nor his mission. And I would say this, I would go as far as to say it's no different today. We've gotten so wrapped up in our religious systems and the things that we believe that we've completely forgotten the kingdom. If you've watched for any amount of time or you've attended for any amount of time, you we're all about the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. This is our lane. I learned a long time ago to stay in your lane. I've just talked recently with beautiful friends of mine that, you know what, we won't always see eye to eye, but my, I'm always, always, always pursuing Jesus as the center of everything. And sometimes that might look a little different. but I have to be faithful to that. So if you ever misunderstand anything I say, hit me up, message me, instant message me, talk to me after service. We can have a talk about stuff. Maybe you can show me some light on something. I'm open to learn, but maybe we can talk it through and you can see that my heart is for you. I'm not against you. 
So just like then, many people just don't understand the person of Jesus. They don't understand his mission. Jesus didn't come to change your behavior. He didn't come to help us live the Ten Commandments or the 613 rules and regulations, right? He didn't come to say, I need you to change your political party. No. He didn't say, I need you to change. I got a brand new denomination for you to follow. That's not what Jesus is about. He came to give us life, to be the means by which we have new life. And what comes from this new life are the behavior changes, the fruit of the spirit. We, we talked about it all the way through the Way of Love series. That's what changes everything. In other words, Jesus came to change our minds. So I feel as if Jesus is saying, will you repent? The Greek word metanoia. Will you change your mind? Because when you change your mind, you will turn and change your ways. Right? When you change your mind, wherever your mind is on something, that's the way you're going to go. That's how powerful our mind is. That's why, that's why the apostle Paul wrote to us in Romans 12 too. He says, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it's like Jesus saying, will you repent? Will you metanoia of your status and take me as your new status? Why? Because Jesus came to give us new life. So what does it say about life's disappointments? I asked that question earlier. Has anyone been disappointed? Has anyone had expectations that were unmet? See, Israel was disappointed when Jesus didn't free them from Roman occupation, when he didn't rule as a warrior king. And within a week, they're like, crucify him, crucify him. Where's the next Messiah that's going to take care of the stuff we want to do? He didn't meet their expectations. They were very disappointed in Jesus, but they completely missed it. Are you seeing this? See, will we choose to trust God or to trust the old way of seeing and doing? This whole process of kingdom and following Jesus is built on taking a step of faith and saying, Jesus, I trust your way above every other way. So teach me, train me, change my thinking, change my mind. I want to wrap up with this scripture. The apostle Paul, he writes in Romans chapter five. Let's start in verse one. He says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, did you catch that? Always wanted to do? He didn't need convincing from Jesus. Hey, hey, Father, what's up, Jesus? I've been down here for like 33 years. I think these people are okay. Are you sure? No, seriously, Jesus. I, I, I don't know. I mean, seriously, Father, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know about those people. It wasn't like Jesus was trying to convince God of something. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him. Look at this. Make us fit for him. And I don't believe this is saying, okay, Jesus, I can't look. Die for him and then I can. I believe it's just like the story in Genesis. When Adam and Eve, they fall, they sin, they eat of the tree they were told not to. We know the story, right? I don't have to go through it. But where did, where did God go in the midst of their sin? Did he run away from them? No, he came to them. He even offered a sacrifice. God offered a sacrifice. We know this because it says he killed an animal and he clothed them. Why? He wanted to cover their shame. He wanted them to feel okay with him. Guys, you messed up. But I'm not going anywhere. Come on. This is huge. So it's the same thing. I believe it's like God, Jesus came to say, hey, listen, 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 listen. You're all right with me, but you got to change your mind. 
Because the world system has convinced you of hatred and anger and vengeance and violence, but that's not the kingdom way. That's not the way I built you. I built you for restoration. I built you for love and grace. I built you to help people, you know, become delivered of things because I'm delivering you and you pass it on. Does this make sense? He says, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. Look at this. This is so cool. I love Eugene Peterson. His translation is beautiful. He says, we throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment, say same moment, that he has already thrown open his doors to us. It wasn't like we threw the doors open. We're like, oh, whoa, the doors are closed. He's like, is everything good, Jesus? Okay, I'll open them now. No, we threw open the doors and we're like, it's always been open. He's always been open to us. We just didn't see it. We were asleep in our sin. We couldn't see it. Awaken to your righteousness, the apostles tell us. This is awesome, man. I'm preaching myself happy at least. But look at this. He says, we find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Oh, man. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. Listen to this. Standing tall and shouting our praise. Someone needs to hear this this morning. You are worthy. You need to discover that you're standing in the open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. But look at this, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passion, I can't see you because of the tears, sorry. <laughs> how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, look at this, we never feel, or we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Come on. Is anyone else happy? Does anyone else love just the revelation of how good God is and what he's always trying to get to you? It's already there. The doors are already wide open. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can say, you've always been open to me. You've cleared every path, totally clean, open. All we have to do is walk by faith and say, okay, I receive it. Because you'll never walk in anything you don't believe. So awaken to your righteousness. See, living through Christ will bring us through disappointment. Or we could say unmet expectations and into peace. We'll never, left, we'll never be left feeling shortchanged. So here's the question. Will you allow this Palm Sunday that we just talked about, dug into, to begin to deal with your heart in areas where you feel like God has not met your expectations? You know, one thing really powerful that I learned through Nate Blouse, who I'm hoping we can have again real soon, is that sometimes we have to have some sessions with God. And this might sound kind of weird, but 
where we actually say, God, I forgive you. And it's, it's not because he did anything wrong, but sometimes God just doesn't meet our expectations, does he? God, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do in this relationship, in this business, in these things. You, you, didn't, you didn't meet my expectations, God. Sometimes we need to let that go and say, God, I forgive you for that because you know what's best for me. Does that make sense? It really takes a step of faith, doesn't it, to completely trust Heavenly Father. So I encourage you to do that. As we go into this resurrection celebration, this season that we should be celebrating every day, I want us to be open to allow Holy Spirit to begin to change our minds, change our heart in certain issues. That we realize that we literally can be that vehicle or change agent for the kingdom of God. But sometimes there's things that are hindering that, things inside us. But again, the beauty of that is God's not going anywhere. He loves you every step of the journey. And like any of us who have had children, every everything that they do, those, those pivotal points in life, whether it's they rolled over and we celebrate it like it's the greatest thing ever. It's like, yeah, watch, I can do it too. But they rolled over. It's, it's beautiful to us because they've achieved another milestone in life. I believe God celebrates those things. Even if we think they're small, he sees them as huge in our life. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we love you so much. You're so good to us. I pray that today's message has maybe dug into some of, some of those areas or recesses of our heart where we believe things that weren't true. Whether it's about you, ourselves, or others, you're beginning to, let me put it this way, repentance is happening and transpiring. It's, it's changing our mind. It's moving us a different direction. It's, and we will be better for it. Holy Spirit, you're in the business of, of making us into the best version of ourself. The, the version that's always been there, but we didn't see it. So we welcome you. We give you permission to speak into our life, to speak into our heart, to tweak things, to move things. It might hurt. <laughs> it might not be fun, but we know there's such fulfillment on the other side. And man, what better way to live life than to be exactly who you've called us to be? We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.